This podcast contains material that some listeners may find objectionable. It may contain graphic descriptions of atrocities committed during the 1937 Nanking Massacre in China. Welcome back to the Undaunted Women of Nanking, the wartime diaries of Minnie Votrin and Sen Shui Fan. On today's show, Nanking has fallen, and the Japanese are entering the city. We begin with the diary of Minnie Votrin, Tuesday, December 14th, 1937. 7.30 a.m. The night was one of peace without, but within one's own consciousness, there was fear of unknown danger. Toward morning, there seemed to be heavy artillery pounding at the city wall again, perhaps at the remaining barricades at the city gates that interfere with the entrance of the main army today. There was also occasional rifle firing, probably by Japanese guards, at marauding of Chinese soldiers or looters. I could also hear firing at Xia Guan, and in my imagination, it was at small sampans filled with soldiers trying to cross the Yangtze and get away to the north. Poor fellows, they had little chance to escape that merciless firing. It came to me that if war is to be equally borne, All should volunteer who wish it declared. Women who want it could serve in military hospitals and provide clothes and comforts for wounded soldiers. Even middle school girls could help tremendously in the thousand tasks that must be done to equip and maintain an army. Middle school and university boys who want it could serve either in the army or in the Red Cross or social service units. And both of these groups would have a challenging task after the war is over, taking care of widows and children of the dead soldiers, not to mention the great task of providing for the care of maimed soldiers. Those of us who believe war is a national crime and a sin against the creative spirit at the heart of the universe could give our strength toward rehabilitation of innocent sufferers. Those whose homes are burned and looted or who are injured by bombs and artillery. This weather is a blessing to the poor. It is as warm and balmy as October, and to sleep out on the hills as some are forced to do does not mean great suffering. Tales are coming in from people who were forced to leave their homes last night by Japanese soldiers, also of some looting by them this morning. Mr. Mao's house which had an American flag and an embassy proclamation on it, was entered. What was taken, I do not know. They slept outside Lao Shao's house, using his fuel for a mattress. He and his family have moved down. Story of young girls who were mistreated are coming in, but I have not had a chance to check them. At four o'clock, 
went down to headquarter of Safety Zone. Mr. Raba, the chairman of the International Committee for the Nanking Safety Zone, and Lewis Smith have been trying all day to get in touch with Commander of Japanese Forces, but we're told he will not be in until tomorrow. Some of the officers whom they saw were extremely polite, and some extremely gruff and rude. John McGee, who is organizing an international Red Cross hospital, has been out all day. He says the same thing. Some men are polite and courteous, others terrible. They have no mercy on Chinese soldiers and do not care much for Americans. At 4.30, Plumer Mills wanted me to go with him down to Hanchi Gate to see the Presbyterian compounds there. I to act as keeper of his car. All are in good condition save for a few broken window panes. Japanese soldiers had been in but had not looted. I sat in the car while Plumer went in and talked to the gateman. On our way back saw one dead body on road near Hillcrest. Remarkably few bodies around considering the terrible shelling city has been through. A little past Hillcrest saw Mr. Sun on road and took him into the car, said his car had just been taken. He had left it out in front of his house when he went in for a few minutes. There was an American flag on it, and it was locked. Many Japanese flags flying from houses of poor and some of better houses. The people had made them and put them up thinking they would receive better treatment. When we got to Jinling, the vacant space in front was filled with soldiers and about eight were just in front of our gate. I stood at the gate until they left and had a chance to bring Chen Si Fu out of their clutches. Had I not been there, they would have taken him along as a guide. Wei, the college messenger, was sent out this morning and is not yet back. We fear he has been taken. While I was standing at the gate, a number of soldiers looked at my international committee badge, and one of them asked me the time. Compared with that fierce one last night, these were quite mild. Tonight people are very much afraid, but I rather think things will be better than last night. It seems as if they are moving over to the section east of Safety Zone. Durden, the New York Times correspondent, who tried to get through to Shanghai, was turned back at Chu Young, said there were thousands and thousands of soldiers on their way to Nanking. Our refugees have had rice twice today for which we are grateful. We were afraid they would not get any today because soldiers are in building where rice is stored. I had made up my mind to bury the Chinese soldiers' clothing, which had been thrown onto our campus by fleeing soldiers night before last. But when I got out to the carpenter shop, found out that our gardeners had been wiser. They had burned them, and the hand grenades they had thrown into a pond. Mr. Chen hid the discarded gun. Let us hope tonight will be peaceful. And now, the same day, December 14th, from the diary of Sen Shui Fang. Many more refugees came to the college today all fled to here from the safety zone because the Japanese soldiers came to their homes to demand money and to rape. 
quite a few people were bayoneted to death on the streets. The situation in the safety zone is terrible like this, and it is even worse outside the zone. Nobody dares to go out of the safety zone. Most of the dead were young men. Today, the third floor of number 500 building was fully occupied by refugees. At noon, seven soldiers came into the campus by jumping over the fence behind number 300 building. Ms. Vulton was not here to stop them, so we had to let them wander around. It was during the time to sell rice porridge, and the soldiers wanted to see the refugees. It scared the refugees to death. Several brave workers escorted the soldiers to various places. Some went to number 500 building, and some to number 100 building. I escorted one of them too. When he saw refugees, he did not react much. But when he saw a frightened young man, he immediately called several soldiers to his side and pointed his bayonet towards the young man, ordering him to take off his clothing. I asked the man to do so, and he complied. Nothing happened, and then the Japanese walked away. When he, the soldier, spotted the American flag on the ground of the quadrangle, he asked his servant not to roll it up. And the servant had to nod. These soldiers belonged to a group. When someone called from outside, they all left. Fortunately, they did not go to number four hundred building, because when seeing nobody inside, they would rob money there. This morning, Old Wei delivered mail to the Drum Tower Hospital, and he has not returned yet. At night. Probably he was taken away by the Japanese soldiers. Many people on the street were taken away, alive or dead, unknown. Now Jingling has four or five thousand refugees. On our first episode in this series, we explored Minnie Votrin's early life and the events that led her from Secor, Illinois, to missionary service in Hofei, China. Now we return to the biography of Minnie's life, American Goddess at the Rape of Nanking, for the story of Jinling College and Minnie's journey there from Hofei. In 1905, fourteen years prior to the National Peking University becoming coeducational, the missionaries opened the first women's college. The North China Union Women's College in Peking, offering a limited number of courses. The college was an outgrowth of a humble missionary school that had started with three girls of a beggar woman as pupils some thirty years earlier. In 1914, the second missionary women's college, Huanan College, was founded at Fuchao in South China, and it did not become a four-year college until 1917. In 1915, one year after the establishment of Huanan, Jinling College was founded. 
It was the result of the recommendation by the China Centenary Missionary Conference in 1907 to urge mission boards to establish a few women's colleges in China's strategic centers. A local board of control and an executive committee in New York were formed to oversee the college's activities, personnel, and budget. In 1913, the board of control elected Matilda Thurston as president of the proposed college. Nanking was chosen as the site of the college. Jinling, the literary term for Nanking, was adopted as its name. Two years later, in September, Jinling College started its first semester with eight students and six teachers. The girls came from various places across the country. They spoke different dialects, and their educational backgrounds differed. Each of them felt very much isolated at first. However, a sense of peer solidarity and responsibility developed among them at the end of their freshman year. In 1919, five students graduated from Jinling. They were the first Chinese women who ever received Bachelor of Arts degrees on Chinese soil. In the summer of 1918, after having served in China for six years, Minnie Votrin returned to the United States for a year's furlough, in accordance with the regulations of the Foreign Christian Missionary Society. After she had visited her family and friends at Secor, Minnie proceeded to New York to enter Columbia University for graduate studies. After a year of hard work, she received her Master of Arts degree in Education in 1919. Originally, Minnie was scheduled to go to Nantung Chao to establish another girls' school after her furlough. However, Jinling College for Women in Nanking, admiring her work at the girls' school in Hofei, wanted her to be its acting president for one year, while Mrs. Matilda M. Thurston, its current president, returned to the States for furlough. At the time, Jinling College Nanking had been open for four years. Wednesday, December 15th, from Sen's Diary. This must be Wednesday, December 15th. It is so difficult to keep track of the days. There is no rhythm in the weeks anymore. From 8.30 this morning until 6 this evening, excepting for the noon meal, I have stood at the front gate while the refugees poured in. There is terror in the face of many of the women. Last night was a terrible night in the city and many young women were taken from their homes by the Japanese soldiers. Mr. Son came over this morning and told us about the condition in the Hoshimin section. And from that time on, we have allowed women and children to come in freely, but always imploring the older women to stay home, if possible, in order to leave a place for younger ones. Many begged for just a place to sit out on the lawn. I think there must be more than 3,000 in tonight. Several groups of soldiers have come, but they have not caused trouble, nor insisted on coming in. Tonight, Cyril and Mr. Riggs are sleeping up in South Hill House residence, and Lewis is down at the gatehouse with Francis Chen. I am down at practice school. We have a patrol of our two policemen, now in plain clothes, and the night watchman, who will be up all night making the rounds. At seven o'clock, I took a group of men and women refugees over to the University of Nanking. We do not take men, 
although we have filled the faculty dining room and central building with old men. One woman in the group said she was the only survivor of four in her family. The Japanese have looted widely yesterday and today, have destroyed schools, have killed citizens, and raped women. One thousand disarmed Chinese soldiers, whom the International Committee hoped to save, were taken from them, and by this time are probably shot or bayoneted. In our South Hill house, Japanese broke the panel of the storeroom and took out some old fruit juice and a few other things. Open door policy. Mr. Rabe and Lewis are in touch with the commander, who has arrived and who is not too bad. They think they may get conditions improved by tomorrow. Our four reporters went to Shanghai today on a Japanese destroyer. We get no word of outside world and can send none out. One still hears occasional shooting. Last night, Bo Chun Lai did not go to bed until midnight. We were afraid that soldiers might come. Fortunately, none of them came. This morning, a large number of refugees poured in. Miss Fulton spent most of the time guarding the front gate to deter soldiers from coming into the campus. Sometimes, when they read the proclamation issued by the American embassy at Fulton's early request, posted on the front gate, they left. The soldiers even entered the residences in the safety zone to look for money, food, and girls. They threw the residents out, but kept the girls. Thus, many of these people came here. None of them dared to do business. Today, soldiers came to the campus and left. Some went to the Southfield residence, breaking the doors. Inside were Western foods, tomatoes, and other small items. At that time, Mr. Ricks came and was asked to chase the soldiers away, and he did. Soldiers not only took things from here, but also even took tobacco and wine from the international committee. It really made the committee members lose face this time. Previously, they were worried that our troops would rob them, and believed that the Japanese soldiers had better discipline. Whenever they held meetings, they always expressed the same belief. Now they feel differently. Seeing the Japanese soldiers did not even recognize the safety zone, the committee realized the ruthlessness of the soldiers. They became a little scared. The Japanese troops are stationed inside the safety zone. Their foot soldiers also came into the zone. So did several groups of advancing forces. They, members of the international committee, always made a fuss about it, and asked which country soldiers the intruders were. Not many soldiers came into the safety zone from the south gate. Now the refugees wear the Japanese flag. Miss Voltron is a Westerner, and she's too busy to deter the Japanese soldiers, because there are always several groups of soldiers coming into the campus daily. The Western gentlemen outside the campus are very busy too. She's reluctant to ask for those gentlemen's help. In September 1919, Minnie became the acting president and the chairperson of the Department of Education of Jinling College. After returning to China and seeing the students and faculty members, 
on the Jinling campus in high spirits, she was excited and elated. In her letter to Bender of October 17, 1919, she wrote, I have been delighted with what I have found at Jinling. I feel sure that I shall soon be as enthusiastic over Jinling as even its most ardent admirers. I can't tell you how good it does seem to be back here. She concluded the letter, My one prayer is that I may be big enough and worthy enough to be of service in the greatest task of bringing his kingdom in. Thanks for listening. On the next episode, soldiers conduct a thorough search of the Jinling campus.